0: This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions.
1: Hello, and welcome to Inside Marketing. Today we're going to talk about youth advertising in relation to COVID. I'm joined by Claire Highland, who is head of the Youth Lab, which is the insights strategy and planning division at Thinkhouse. Welcome, Claire.
0: Good morning, Dave.
2: Hi.
1: And I'm also joined by Alwyn Inglis, who is part of the client leadership team at Dentsu. Good morning, Alwyn.
2: Hey Dave, thanks for having me again.
1: No problem. You were on a couple of weeks ago, so you didn't get too scared. Um, It wasn't too traumatic last time. Thanks for coming back on. Um, First things first, how's everybody? How are you getting on, Claire? How's working from home and all that goes with that? How are you getting on?
0: I'm I'm doing good. I think this week overall was a relatively challenging week for people, just in the context of uncertainty. But in terms of, of working from home, I think this whole mantra of Working from anywhere will be the new way in which we all embrace work and life. So I'm I'm happy to be here in my kitchen this morning.
1: Very good. Alwyn, how are you getting on? How's work from home?
2: Yeah, fine. I had a, a few weeks in the office, which I you know initially I was dreading, but actually I love being back there. So kind of facing the reality of a, a long winter ahead of us. But yeah, I think you know, overall very lucky in terms of my circumstances. So not too bad.
1: Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that it's um, it might be kind of annoying, but at least everyone's safe. And, mm. you know, there have been previous generations have had made greater sacrifices in ter- than having to stay at home and watch uh, Netflix and that kind of thing. So <laughs> um, we can't complain too much. Right, we're going to, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about, um, well, we talk about COVID all the time in some, it bubbles up in some way. But today we're going to talk about a, a quite specific area around COVID because it's in relation to the youth audiences and oh when you wrote an article in today's Irish Times which uh, I found was a brilliant read I urge everybody to read it so and it kind of really is around that the, the, the it's about marketing to the youth specifically around COVID so the kind of gist of it is that the, the public health the government public health campaigns are missing the marks on what young audience because well it's understandably so because they're designed for all adults and you know when you make something for an all adult target audience, it's kind of going to be nigh impossible to connect with every single audience. So your point is that these campaigns are, you know, possibly just not connecting with the youth audience at the moment. So we're going to start there, Owen. So, and you rightly point out in the article, this group are the social change makers generally, and the people that go out and they kind of drive their agents of change. But with COVID, they seem to be demonstrating a kind of nonchalant regard for public safety. So, Let's start there. What's going on? What is happening with the young people? Why are they just not, you know, doing their part for COVID?
2: Firstly, it's unfair to brand all young people as having a disregard for these, you know, rules and public safety. But yes, you know, the transmission is higher for this younger demographic and in the past 2 months we've seen that although I think it was 18 to 34s represent just 25% of the population, they're actually accounting for 40% of the cases. But I think you know, it's these figures that are in fact the problem, that they're being used as a weapon to judge and condemn young people in this country as lacking solidarity and compassion. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think everybody in this country on a day-to-day basis makes judgment calls on what is the right and wrong thing to do. Many people, not just young people, are flexing rules and guidelines to fit their own personal needs. And the issue with this is that collective action only works when the majority of people follow the rules. So Dave, I'm willing to make sacrifices if you are too. So the reality is that young people are not the only ones breaking or bending the rules, but their greater need for social contact at this young age means that their rule breaking is just having a bigger impact. And Mm. we have to remember that young people are at a completely different stage in their lives. So it's one that's driven by social interaction, by adventure, by independence. And suddenly all that was put on hold and they, like everyone else, has restrictions eased. We're just trying to find some sense of normality. So you can't look and blame young people without looking at the population as a whole.
1: So it is all their fault entirely. Am I hearing you right? Is that what you're saying? It's 100% (laughs) their fault. (laughs) Claire, what are your thoughts? Claire, what do you think about that? Like, why, in your view, just before we get into the specifics of marketing, because we're here to talk about marketing, but just generally, why do you think that young people just seemingly, albeit from the outside in, and maybe a small group of them are just don't seem to be playing ball on this topic,
0: Well, I think, firstly, what people are seeing on their screens is not the bigger picture. So I think fundamentally with the youth audience, you have an audience that are genuinely struggling. And as Alwyn highlighted there, the challenge for them, I would say, is disproportionate. And I think we need to go back in time BC, so before coronavirus, and really understand the lives that young people would typically have enjoyed to understand the abrupt sense of loss that they're actually experiencing now. So actually in terms of their adulthood, I would say that all adults are not equal. So in the context of COVID, what you have with the youth audience is an audience that is actually struggling more in terms of that basic social interaction because it is a defining characteristic of them as a cohort. So young people... You know, are social energizers, and it's actually critical for their self development, for their sense of self, and for the lives that they would typically live at that time. Mm. So, I think you know they have a greater challenge in terms of behaving in in a world where social interaction is now so minimised.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay. And again, what I because what I have to do, just in the interest of debate, is to somewhat play a kind of counterbalance to some of the argument, yeah. I guess. So you know, may not necessarily be my view personally, but like, but just to, to kind of unpick that a bit, I appreciate that it might be maybe the current campaign and maybe some of the messaging and and the, and the way it's been portrayed is not resonating with youth, but that doesn't excuse or explain a disregard for public safety. So I, I don't think it's fair to say that, well, well, you know, because we, you know, we've done, a, we've done huge campaigns on TV and every medium, Um, to be honest. So I don't think it's fair. I think it's, it's not an excuse to say because we didn't do something specifically for use or we have for youth or we have to be, oh, no, we have to do this kind of specific thing to talk to this audience because there's a difference between not seeing a message and Maybe not understanding what was going on, and generally just seeing it, but thinking I'm not going to comply with this. So the first question I have, Owen, is: Do you think that whether it's aimed them or not, do you think that you have to agree that they are fully aware of um, the consequences and and what they should be doing? So are you being a little bit too forgiving of them? You know, I know they're tagged as being the the snowflakes, and you know the the world owes them a living and everything like that. And so are we having to pander to them? You know, should they not? Is it excusable? Should they not just do their bit Mm. already? No. Uh,
2: Like I think we're asking the wrong question. Like I, My point in the article is not about whether we should absolve young people from any responsibility, but it's that the approach of blame and judgment doesn't recognize the strength and voice that they have. So it's not whether we should forgive them, but I think how should we inspire them? And, you know, in the article I talked about how in the past few years in this country, it's young people who have marched on the streets to protest racial discrimination or demand climate action. But at the moment that they feel alienated and powerless. And the Department of Health actually published a report this month, and it looked at the impact of COVID-19 on young people specifically. And it found that in general, they feel undervalued and scapegoated. And, you know, as Claire, you were talking about, that the sacrifices that they've had to make, which in some ways are much greater than lots of other people in this country, you know, in terms of different age demographics, that those sacrifices aren't being recognised. And I think it's so interesting that suddenly a group which have previously been protesters, and change makers in this country are left on the sidelines and they're just talked at rather than listened to.
1: Yeah, okay. And Claire, I'm going to come to you because you wrote an article I read recently as well. And you yeah, I really do feel sorry for young people because they have been disproportionately hit, but like, you know, hardest in terms of the impact it's had on their, their social life. And also these people tend to be the ones that worked in the service economy and tended to lose their jobs. So it has hit them quite hard. And Claire, I want to bring you in here specifically because I read an article, as I say, that you wrote and it talks about this kind of critically important development stage for young adults. And it introduces a concept of a new life stage. So between, the, one between adolescence and young adults and it's called Emerging Adulthood so can you talk to me briefly about that?
0: Yeah I think this is fundamentally about understanding the life stage that young people are at so particularly 18 to 25 year olds so Back over 100 years ago, back in 1904, the idea of adolescence as a distinct life stage was only recognised. But what happened then at a societal level was that institutions were forced to adapt. So you had education, healthcare, social services. They all changed to address the particular needs of, say, 12 to Mm 18-year-olds. And now what we're seeing in psychology circles is a similar phenomenon that psychologists are beginning to recognize this idea of a new life stage for emerging adults so 18 to 25 year olds Mm -hmm. and what that is 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 actually about recognizing that they are at this flux period so it's this period of life where there's both instability and a real sense of possibility so it is a, a period in life where it's about discovery it's about Forming your own self of self, so Mm -hmm. crafting that identity and doing that through work, through fashion, music, education, and mostly through interaction with other people. So actually to become your own self, you need to interact with the group to really define exactly you know, what that self is. Mm. And it's also critically this time in young people's lives where they try things, they experiment, and and they often fail. So it's this journey of kind of trial and discovery. And, you know, at that point, it's really about the sense of the future being limitless. Mm. So I guess from a self-development perspective, it's actually really critical point in young people's life they're actually learning how to adult right. so I guess you know understanding that and that again is is the job that I do day in day out in terms of youth lab it's really just trying to understand the world through the eyes of youth and in this case really understand the psychology and the actual self-development that's occurring at this life stage.
1: Hmm. Yeah maybe I'm being a bit too hard on them Um <laughs> and Oh, when you mentioned in your article that, you know, you mentioned at this point about them feeling um, victimized and, you know, left on the sidelines to a degree in, in what's going on in COVID and being scapegoated by the media. So, and I do, I do think it's a really important point because, you know, we see it all the time. Any misdemeanor involving young people, it tends to end up on the nine o'clock news and it spreads like wildfire. And that seems slightly unfair, probably sensationalist. Look, I understand why it happens but like you very rarely see the media and um, I'm not picking on RT or anything like that but just like on the nine o'clock news talking about positive stories that young people um, it tends to all be quite negative negative. and I'm not saying in any way that that bad behaviors are justified at all just because they feel disenfranchised but oh, Owen starting with you do you think the media are unfair um, and they're sensationalizing misdemeanors because like it's good TV it gets people reading newspapers it gets people watching TV do you think that the media are being unfair?
2: And I don't know if it's about unfairness necessarily. I think, first of all, you know, we want to recognize that in an era of Trump and Brexit, the power of media has never been more apparent. But I think, you know, it's this approach. So in some ways, reprimanding people for non-compliance you know, in the face of a pandemic is a persuasive tool to keep people in check. But we also know from studies on behavioral science specifically that collective action is primarily driven by three factors. So one, strong communication from leaders is absolutely crucial. Two, people feeling part of a group or community response. And then three, there also is an element of social punishment or disapproval when people don't pull their weight. But I think social disapproval becomes a problem when something that is only done Mm. by the few is used to punish the many Mm. and the result in this case with young people is it just makes them feel scapegoated and unfairly targeted and that's not going to help motivate them so media has a huge responsibility in this fight and that initial feeling during lockdown of we're all in this together and stay safe was in many ways driven by the media. They were Mm -hmm. telling stories from communities across the country of everyone coming together, of frontline workers risking their lives. But in recent weeks and months, They've been completely eclipsed by negative stories of people having parties, mm. businesses not following guidelines, even government officials going on golf outings. So the media at the moment is only focusing on that one element of social punishment, and as a result, we we've all, not just young people, lost that feeling of you know collective you know unity and purpose.
1: Mm. Yeah. And um, We'll get on that in a second. Claire. you, you in your article, you talked about um, help, not judgment. So what's your point of view on the reporting or misrepresentation maybe of the small disenfranchised view, misdemeanors that happen with the young people? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think the bigger point is that young people are actually really struggling. And that begs the bigger question then, which is, do you help someone who's struggling or do you judge them for that struggle? And again, this comes back to really trying to understand what's actually going on in the lives of young people, um, and they they are currently experiencing this abrupt contraction of opportunity. So, typically, and this like if we think back to this time last year, you know, young people would have been socializing, learning, traveling, expanding their horizons, but instead, like this year. Now in a COVID landscape, we have a world of no exams, no devs, no grads, no gigs, no festivals, mm. no clubs, no matches. You know, and not only that, but also like this world of cancelled lectures, internships, mm. reneged contracts, lost jobs. It's a world of missed milestones and real like uncertain futures. So mm. what we know is that they're really struggling from a mental health perspective. And they've come into this. Uh, 2020 year already in a really fragile state when it comes down to, to their mental health mm. and now what we're seeing is that that's actually just being amplified further so anxiety levels loneliness um, depression and particularly actually loneliness so that sense of loss that they're experiencing in terms of not actually being able to connect with their friends mm. and actually spun out a youth uh, charity a mental health organization in conjunction with the department of children and youth affairs they actually just published a report this week highlighting that 35 percent of you know that 2000 plus 15 to 24 year old audience said that they really missed their mm-hmm. friends and again say that's higher and more marginalized groups it's higher in rural areas mm-hmm. and one in 10 young people saying that they nothing positive to save their experience of COVID-19 mm-hmm living, which is really worrying. So I guess, again, bigger picture in the here and the now, they're really struggling in terms of their mental health. And I would say the long term trajectory is also something that young people are trying to get their head around in mm. the context of economically you know, they came in again to this virus at a disadvantage and they're likely to come out the other end also severely at disadvantage in terms of the reduction in the immediate earnings, employment opportunities, mm-hmm. the opportunity of transitioning to a newer, better job. So I think they're really grieving. They're yeah, grieving yeah. their losses. Mm. Um, And again, that that's not really the story that's being told.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. And uh, like I've said this all we argued about this and everything and lots of other things lots of times but like I have a problem with, I generally have a problem with the way the news are portraying the whole situation because I think and we talk about the implications of our youth I think that all it does is reinforce existing beliefs so remember at the start of it this is not a big deal it's kind of it's a flu it's not a big deal and then you start to see Trucks full with bodies, you know, truck after truck, and from Italy, and you, you it really, the, the media kind of, it felt like a movie, and you see Leo addressing the nation, and it really did feel like a movie, and and you, you then said, wow, this is this is really serious, you know, seven or eight months in, I think this constant daily reporting of the news, a, I think just come slightly desensitized to it a little bit. But what I think it reinforces beliefs, because if you're somebody who's really, really terrified, and a lot of people think older people are really disproportionately hit because they're terrified to go out in lots of cases. So if you're somebody that's really terrified, you see 400, 500, 600 cases every day, you are terrified. And if you're somebody who thinks, I don't really think this is a big deal. It's a a flu to, to some degree. And you see 400, 500 cases, zero deaths every day in the news. That's going to reinforce your existing belief that this is nothing, that the virus is losing its potency. So open question, whoever wants to take it and jump in. Do you think that we should report on it? Before we get into advertising, How we should the media should report on it in a slightly different way.
2: For me, it's not about whether or not you report on the numbers, but I think it's that the only communication We're hearing or seeing at the moment are these numbers, and it's that sense of purpose or solidarity, or you know, we're talking about youth, that kind of cross generational unity that we're missing at the moment. You know, think back to the lockdown when it started, and people were putting up rainbows on their windows to show their support. That same feeling isn't there anymore. So at the moment now, we're in this. You know, it's it's all about numbers. It's young versus old. It's Dublin versus Cork. And but it should be about collective action you know, what we're Mm. doing together. And I think that we've lost that. And it's that ongoing reporting of the numbers that is completely taken over. And I think that's definitely part of the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. Claire?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's been likened to this, sense of we're in a war so we're in a war against a deadly virus and at the moment through the numbers I guess it feels like we're losing battle after battle Um, and I think people are getting fixated on daily figures Mm. but where there is a positive in terms of just those numbers I think what we're starting to see more in the media now is more of a holistic picture so instead of obsessing over you know a particular number on any one day, we're actually looking more at shifts and patterns, trends. So it's more a case of if we continue to do this in two weeks' time or in one-one time, this is the likelihood that... Mm-hmm. You know, hospital uh, ICU beds will increase by X amount or we'll have X amount of cases. So people are getting a bit of a sense of context in terms of kind of, I guess, the journey of the pandemic and the, the rate of pace in terms of how it's progressing. But I think there's a potential positive way of positioning that, which is less about, you know, the numbers who have it, or the numbers who have died and more through the lens of the number of lives we're potentially saving or the number of cases that aren't happening on the back of positive good behavior. So just reinforcing that kind of positive message.
1: So yeah, and as I said, I think young people are smarter and more politically tuned than many give them credit for. So Claire, uh, thinking about the media generally, do you think that the media should be taking a more positive approach to try and tackle this whole problem?
0: Yeah, well, I think if you look at the average demographic of editorial teams, you quickly learn that young people are not adequately represented in the features, news and specialist media departments. And then this filters through to what we actually see and the tone of it. And a few years ago, we conducted research at the time that highlighted that 70% of young people agreed that traditional media does not properly represent them and I know this research is about two years old now but again it does indicate kind of the the general landscape Um, so I think what's important now is that we make progress and we continue to make progress and even having worked with RTE firsthand we can see again how um, you know, that change is happening now. So mm-hmm. in the broader context of inclusion and equality, I think it's just critical that we do get young people really being part of the story in, in the widest possible sense through the media houses.
1: Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with that, I think. And we're all in agreement that we should probably have, uh, collectively and, and media and everybody, I mean, be a little bit more empathy towards this group because I think they do get, you know, and I joke about it sometimes. If we talk about millennials to say that they are the snowflake generation. They're socially obsessed. They've no, you know, attention span. But actually, it's completely unfair because they're much more politically attuned than I think the older people give them credit for. So, I agree with all that. And I think that maybe, you know, it's nice angle to have a bit of positivity and not just kind of show the misdemeanor. So it's interesting,
0: again, when you think before coronavirus, because a lot of what's starting to map out now is either an acceleration of a trend or a behavior that was there beforehand, or indeed it's unearthing problems that again were there, but now we understand them and they're for, I guess, the the real problem that they are and they're continuing to grow. So millennials in particular, like they are economically disadvantaged. So we know from like global data from the IMF, that they have 60% of the wealth that their parents would have had at this time. So they are fighting in Ireland against a housing crisis mm. and against kind of, you know, an inadequate healthcare system. They voted for a Sinn Féin government. Well, at least 31.7%, right? So mm-hmm. again, if we think back to February and the, the election, they voted for a change. Change in Ireland and change around housing and healthcare. And they've also voted for change through the marriage referendum, the repeal, and again through climate action. So, you know, so they're coming into this at a point where they, you know, they're demanding the change. And now here they are again in a landscape where the unequalness of the situation is again falling mm. on, on their shoulders.
1: Yeah, fair point. Fair point. We're gonna talk about marketing. And look, I know marketing is only a small part of everything, um, but it is a marketing podcast at the end of the day. So but when you mentioned the article again, that it feels like we're back to those, you know, the eighties campaigns about, you know, talking, preaching to the youth, finger wagging and telling them, you know, using ads to tell them what they're doing wrong or what they shouldn't do. So but do you think only thinking about marketing, do you think that we need to specifically think about this slightly differently that we need to, as you talked about, be a bit more positive maybe? So from a classic planning point of view, should the government be ring fencing a small amount of budget and saying we got to think totally differently at this? We're going to take, you know, 20%, it's 24% of the population, 40% of the cases. We're going to allocate 20% of our budget to doing something different, not just banging everybody over the head with that kind of scary public information type ads because they work for me. They work for, you know, older people. They don't work for young people. So, do you think they should do, uh, develop a, a specific strategy and, and ring-fence budget to talk to these people, Alwyn?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the approach of parent to child, do this, don't do that, especially, you know, as to Claire, what you're talking about this phase of emerging adulthood. It just doesn't work, especially if, if, as I said earlier, parents are bending or breaking the rules themselves. But I won't go into that. But my main point in the article is, What we're doing at the moment fails to recognize and appreciate the strength, resilience, and also creativity that young people have. So, is there a way through marketing that we can make them more involved, make them feel that they are contributing and have a key part to play in how we combat Mm. the virus? And in fact, a huge part of any campaign that aims to influence behavior change is about listening. Mm. So, maybe that's a campaign that from start to finish is created and developed by young people themselves. The point is that they are engaged and empowered. And in fact, I think the reality is that the country as a whole has become increasingly apathetic to the virus. But as we've seen with issues like climate action and referendums, it can be young people who have given half the chance could start to turn that around.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. Claire. you have loads of experience in youth marketing. Your your agency specialises in that field. So do you think we need a slightly different approach?
0: Well, I think in principle, the most effective way to do any type of marketing is to ensure that you're showing up in the right way at the right time at the right place so I think there's certainly improvements that can be made in terms of how we engage young people so first off I guess in terms of where the messaging appears I mean we know that young people are are not heavy consumers of traditional media that older adults are so I think it's natural to conclude that we need to show up in the places where they are active and where they are getting their news which is the likes of Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat Um, And I think there's also a big opportunity in terms of how the message reaches them in terms of like who the actual carrier of the message is. So what we also know to be true in terms of young people is that their peers are huge influencers in their lives and they're likely to get messages through their own social networks. So I think there's an opportunity again for like the HSE to to message indirectly through people networks. Um, And then finally, I guess, in terms of the way in which the message is actually communicated. So the language, the, the codes of communication, I think they really have to reflect that actual language of youth and the codes of internet culture um, mm. in particular. And like what we see time and time again is that young people are so savvy in terms of understanding advertising that they actually really appreciate something where it doesn't feel like advertising. Mm. So, for example, you could be watching a video or, you know, see a meme or see something that that grabs your attention. And there is a really critically important message in that, but you're not feeling that it's coming at you as an avert ad mm. but i think you know in fairness like this is an enormously challenging time mm-hmm. um and i think it's going to take a, a combination of of multiple things mm. but certainly i would argue that there is a huge opportunity to explore new different avenues to engage with the youth audience
1: yeah i mean if this is a normal campaign brief that we got in we'd say where's the problem demographic okay it seems to be disproportionately in that young audience let's do something to actually specifically for them as opposed to that it's just kind of a, we hit them as a bypasser to a degree and w- the one thing that we know and you'll both know as well is that young people we covered this before in a podcast they tend to lean into brands that have a purpose or purpose-led brands and all when in the article you, you listed a couple of different examples of that of campaigns that or brands that they feel more like a cause for this audience or, or they connect with them much better and darkness into light is a great example so From your perspective, Alwyn, what's good about that type of behavior or more specifically, taking all that we know about those kind of empowering people campaigns, what could the government campaign learn from that and what behaviors could they borrow?
2: Yeah, I think Darkness into Light is a great example because it's a brilliant initiative where People in different locations across the country walk five kilometres during sunrise in of Pieda House. And I think what's so clever about this is that it's not just a campaign asking for donations or driving awareness of the charity. It's an experience. It's something that people and young people specifically can easily be involved in and also something that they can easily share. And that's what campaigns like Darkness and light have really understood is this idea of social capital, of creating moments and experiences that, that young people can share. So rather than just promoting it on social media, they created shareable badges. And I know, Claire, you were involved in this work, but you know, encouraging people to share their own content, content while I on walks. And also, as part of the campaign, encouraging people to tell their own stories and struggles with mental health. And there are many lessons that we can learn and apply from in regards to COVID and young people. It's by creating something they can be a part of giving them a voice and letting them tell their own stories Mm. and also thinking about how we can use media or how they use media and what are the most effective channels uh, as Claire you've already talked about to not just reach them but actually to engage and activate them.
1: Mm. Claire I know that was one of your campaigns that your agency worked on yeah. so what your thoughts on that and also I agree I think it's a brilliant campaign from just from what I see in the media um so what are your thoughts on that and any other campaigns you think that we could learn from in terms of connecting with this youth.
0: Yeah well I guess fundamentally what Darkness into Light is it is a movement so I have been part of an incredible team working directly with Pieda and Electric Ireland over the last five years. And I think from the very onset, we all have approached this initiative, this movement uh, from a listen, learn and understand perspective. So mm. we very much came to this, not from a position of, judging people who are struggling with their mental health or potentially having suicidal tendencies it was actually from a place of pure understanding and how can we deliver a message of hope and then the way I think that we've done that really successfully is providing all I guess the teams and the different kind of regional groups that are part of the Pieda network with Mm -hmm. actually the tools and, and the content to actually create that grassroots impact mm-hmm. and, and get the message out and then create absolutely this sense of it being bigger than any one person and allowing people the opportunity to self-identify as being part of that so they are fundamentally part of a movement so giving them mm-hmm. the social tools the filters anything that would signify and visualize that they are part of this and then I think you know what's been incredible just in this year is that in the absence of being able to go out in large numbers and, and walk together on on may the 9th we we pivoted and we came up with a, a new idea that was all around getting people again to come together and do an act of solidarity and support mm. of of suicide and, and mental health support and take a sunrise picture so it was a very easy thing for people yeah. to do and again i think you know when you're asking people to get involved in something It has to be easy, but there has to be a reward, which is that sense of togetherness. The second big um, project that I've been involved in, and again, this is 100% linked to COVID because we got a call the weekend that we went into lockdown or the weekend that, you know, we all left our workplaces and schools stopped. And it was a call from RTE and our our challenge was try to help stop the spread of COVID-19 by penetrating the echo chambers of 16 to 35-year-olds. So really kind of getting into the world of 16 to 35-year-olds and alert them to the outbreak and Mm -hmm. what the desired behaviour was. And we had 14 days to to do that. So it it was a public information campaign, but for us, we really just saw it as, like, how are we actually going to resonate in a way that taps into the creativity of young people and taps into the culture that they are familiar Mm. with and so you know for anyone that is familiar with it likes to say TikTok, for example Mm -hmm. um you'll know that challenges are a really big thing so people getting behind a particular challenge and passing it on so we took the approach to design a daily challenge for 14 days and Not just something that was fun and great crack to do while you have to stay at home, which is the real message we were trying to communicate, but actually that there was an opportunity for people to create something, to do something Mm. new or fun or interesting. And we involved over 400 people in terms of working directly Mm. with influencers, both big and small, to really, I guess... um, you know, drive that messaging and engage their particular audiences. So rather than than looking at the youth audience in general, we looked at it through the lens of sport, through the lens of Mm. design, through the lens of our creativity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that campaign, the RT, just the the way that they, because, I mean, it wasn't specifically a youth campaign, but, you know, anyone could get involved. But it was kind of built, you could see how it would appeal to, a younger audience, and I think even just from a media point of view as well, the Darkness into Light campaign. I think COVID actually made that better. Uh, it's one of the few things that actually because it took something that was a physical thing that happened, and it, it passed a lot of people by. I think, but because the movement then happened on social media, just from pure media perspective, I think it made it actually stronger, which pretty phenomenal results And it's a campaign I really like. Thinking about all, oh, just thinking about, look, we're all agreed that. And all the great examples there, you know, you can empower young people, involve them, and I think be more positive in that. But when we think about making them part of the solution, not just you know pointing the finger at them and saying they are the problem. So, Alwyn, I'm going to start with you here. There's messaging, and then there's media. Do you think? Uh, imagine we got a brief in from the government to specifically address this issue. We've talked quite a lot about messaging. All, Give me your thoughts on channels and media, uh, and what what we could possibly be doing to connect people slightly in a more engaging way.
2: So, in terms of media. I think, firstly, we need to recognise that young people don't consume media the same way older generations do. And at first, I think everyone, including young people, were glued to the six or nine o'clock news every evening. But that's not the case anymore. And we know younger audiences tend to watch less linear television, less linear radio and spend more time online. And I'm not saying that they've abandoned traditional media completely. Mm. That's not the case. But their, their media ecosystem is increasingly diverse and fragmented and across many different channels and platforms. So as with messaging, your media plan should reflect the audience that you're talking to. And I think alongside that, it's crucial for this audience that you have a really strong social strategy. And for social, it's all about sharing, connecting. And that's why those campaigns you know, worked so brilliantly. You know, especially with young people as well. It's about creating, and so it's crucial as a channel social, not just for us to reach young people with our message, but to engage them in a conversation and listen to what they have to say.
1: Mm. Like we've talked a lot, I think we're all in the same place on this. I think, but just something that came into it. Like we're talking about not treating them like children. Um, I think that applies to everybody as well. I mean, we're in. We could have gone into, um, if Nef was advice was taken, we could have gone into full-on, full-blown lockdown, level four. We're in level three. So we've got kind of a slap on the wrist. But it's really down to us because I think if we can't behave ourselves, and it is everybody, it's easy to blame young people. But if we can't behave ourselves, and I, we are trying to treat people like adults, everybody, even adults don't behave like adults sometimes. So we are trying to treat people like adults. But if we're not capable of behaving like adults, then we know what's going to happen. We will go into lockdown. There is no other solution. So I think you let your guard down a bit. But it's not just a young people problem, but I, I definitely think that we are a kind of tricky situation whereby if we see what happens, if the cases keep growing, we'll probably get restricted further restrictions. If we come out of it and we can behave ourselves, uh, then I think it's up to us. So yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement on that. So on that
0: in terms of I guess behaving like adults I guess this goes back to my point earlier in terms of like understanding what the typical behaviours for these age cohorts are and particularly in the lens of I guess those emerging adults and by that it's really Gen Z who are really just figuring out who they are and, and part of doing that is through social interaction and being mm. part of group dynamics and then millennials okay so you know 25 to 35 year olds I mean their life stage, like the, the point and in time of their existence, is really again around kind of the group around socializing, um, and and let's not forget that many of them are in shared accommodations. You know, they mm-hmm. can't afford mm-hmm. maybe to have their the, the privilege of their own house, so they are living with many um, you know other young people. So again, I guess the challenges are are greater in the context of not socializing, mm-hmm. and yet and yet I think things are typically looked at in a very black and white. Perspective and the reality is, we live in great for most of the time. Mm -hmm. So, I think the question that we need to be asking is not so much are you going to be adult and not socialize, but more how can we help you socialize safely? And I think through communications, this is the real opportunity. It's the opportunity to showcase how you do that, to actually show scenarios of you know socializing maybe Mm -hmm. with one person or two people or socializing outside and again showing I think predominantly now as well just masks I think there's a huge opportunity as we become more knowledgeable around the airborne transmission of this deadly disease I think Mm -hmm. masks are critical to us managing the virus and I think in the context of youth creativity there's so much you could do in that space in terms Mm -hmm. of engaging young creatives in terms of you know doing content that's funny like I saw a thing just this week from Saturday Night Live, which was a whole skit and not being able to see the bottom half of people's faces. Mm -hmm. So if you're dating and you're on the hunt for someone, you don't really get the full picture, you know, and it's funny. So it's just, while this situation is far from funny, like there's still ways in which you can tell a story that feels relatable, that that resonates, um, but gets your message out, you Mm -hmm. know?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. Alwyn, final thoughts on the marketing side of things before we wrap it up?
2: Yeah, I think the key thing for me is involve, engage, empower, you know, talk with and not act. And you know, if we continue to have this kind of parent-child conversation mm. with younger generations and also use infection rates as a weapon against them, I just don't know yeah. how we expect them to listen. So yeah. yeah, that's the key key points for
1: me. Yeah, and your, and your article has loads of great examples of brands that have done it really well and done it properly. So we're running out of time, but before we go, Claire, I just want to, can you give me just a, a little bit of information um, on Thinkhouse, what you do as an agency and what your role is in there?
0: yeah brilliant well we're a youth marketing agency so we work with organizations to help them firstly understand and connect with youth audiences so primarily 16 to 35 year olds Um, we're an independent agency so we feel like we're a startup still 18 years uh, later and our services are really through three lenses so one fame so delivering kind of through our creative services fame and awareness for our clients transformation so really working with senior executives and Terms of helping them, uh, I guess, future-proof and, and transform their businesses to be more youth-centric, mm. and finally, planet. Because I guess you know, if we don't have a planet, we have no future. So, really, how we're having a positive impact on the planet, of, or mm. yeah, on the planet and the lives of young people?
1: Mm, brilliant. And I'm sure, well, Talwin, I'm not going to ask you because sure, everyone knows who <laughs> Dentsu are, and you know, we're, we're on this podcast every week. So, but Claire, if anyone's interested in finding out a little bit more about Think House, where can they go to?
0: Go online to ThinkHouseHQ, so HQ for headquarters, so ThinkHouseHQ.com or indeed can learn more at theyouthlab.com as well, which is um, just where you'll find lots of really interesting insights and news in the context of the evolution of youth culture.
1: Great, right, great. And again, just remind people, I, I urge you to read the article in the Irish Times today by Alwyn English. It's a great article. So that's it. We're out of time. We've gone over again. I uh, just want to say thanks to Andrea and Kira on sound and thanks to Claire and Oliver for joining me. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave.
1: And oh, and I nearly forgot. And thanks to our partners at Irish Times Media Solutions. I always forget that. Anyway, OK, we're back in two weeks time. See you. Stay safe. Bye.
0: This is Inside Marketing brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Thanks. Mm-hmm.